Welcome to episode 205 of the Various Sundry Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from our virtual studio on the internet by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is sheltering in place today, John Scott Sloat. Doc, what's happening? Well... We've got a lot to talk about today in terms of the sports realm of things, but uh, you are joining us from your basement, I believe. Yes. Yep. Yep. I got a I got a virus that ends in a number, and uh, <laughs> I've been told by the HR department I'm not allowed to leave the house for a while. So okay. here we are. There you go. Here we are. No fever. Pretty mild. I may cough once or twice on the pod, but uh, our high level editing folks will get that out for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, those uh, our, our our team of editors. Yeah, will uh, will absolutely take care of that. So, yes, indeed. So, um, but you're able to work from home, even though, I mean, I mean, I was supposed to be on the road this week, so I'm supposed right. to be in Roanoke right now. Um, so I I'm clearly not in Roanoke meeting with people, but uh, I'm able to I'm able to do quite a bit from home. Yeah. So we'll do some phone calls, set up some meetings for next week and see what happens. Go from there. There you go. Well, if you would like to reach out to the show, you can find us on Twitter at V and S pod. You can email the show various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, and we would love for you to leave a five star rating of the program. So uh, without any further delay, let's jump into sports. John, actually, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball here and uh, have a start with the NFL because I think we'll we'll have we'll, there'll be more to talk about on the college football end of things. So let's start with your beloved Jets. Uh, they lost thirteen eight. Is that right? Yeah, the halftime score was ten to five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Jets are unwatchable. At the, current, <laughs> at the current moment yes uh it's it's a struggle to say the least um, um yes they started they started tim boyle uh hashtag let him boil was the uh was the hashtag <laughs> and uh uh he didn't even simmer so no. uh, they went to trevor simeon which is our fourth quarterback of the year yes and uh, that's back-to-back years we've used four quarterbacks. And three of the last four years we've used four quarterbacks. Yeah. That's not good. That's typically not a recipe for winning. No. No, it's not. Uh, so we're we're in the wilderness. Uh, it, you know, we have Aaron Rodgers coming back next year, supposedly. And he's the only reason the GM, the coach and the offensive coordinator continue to have a job. As far as I can tell, I mean, this is sort of the year they were supposed to make the playoffs. They're supposed to do something if they wanted to keep their jobs and they just haven't done it. Um, Now maybe a Ron fixes everything, but uh, I I don't know that he fixes everything. Maybe, maybe he fixes it, maybe covers all multitude of sins there, but who knows? Well, with an off season, uh available to you you can obviously shore up the offensive line as well as getting aaron back um uh you know maybe through the draft or through some free agency even through some trades you might be able to uh shore up the offensive line to make it 
uh, a little bit sturdier for whoever's uh, starting a quarterback for you. Yeah, yeah. And we have a decent offensive line. I think we've been decimated by injuries. So we have a guy, uh, Joe Titman, who uh, Joe Titman, who graduated from Wisconsin, uh, but went to high school in Fort Wayne, Indiana, actually, there you go. Um, who uh, allowed zero uh, pressures yesterday in 42 passing attempts. So there's there's reason for hope. I mean, Elijah Vera Tucker is very, very good. First round guard. Uh, but he keeps getting injured, keeps hurting himself. Yep. Uh, Becton has played pretty well at tackle this year. I mean, they just can't put it all together. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a, uh, a shockingly bad season for the, uh, for the jets primarily because of injury. Right. I mean, I think that's probably fair. I think so. Yeah. And they cannot find Garrett Wilson open. <laughs> yes. It's not that he isn't open. He is open. Yes. They cannot get him the ball. Yeah. I was watching yeah. I was watching the 49ers Eagles and they just give Debo Samuel the ball in the most interesting ways. They run a reverse, they do a bubble screen, they throw it deep, they run a crossing pattern. I mean they yeah. they find like seven, eight different ways to get him the ball. They're yeah. not doing that real soon. No, no. No. Uh any other NFL games catch your attention this weekend? Uh Packers beat the Chiefs. That was a big game. Uh, first loss with Taylor Swift in attendance. For the mm, that's tough. That's tough. I'll have to shake that off. Um, um, and then uh, 49ers trounced the Eagles in Philadelphia. And that yes. Was well, and what's crazy, they won like 42 to what, like 19 or something like that? Something like that. They dominated. But at the end of the first quarter, I think the score was like 6 nothing Eagles. Like the, the right. 49ers did not show up in the first quarter. That's right. And then yep. in the last three quarters, they absolutely blew the doors off of Philly. Yep. 100%. And funny just to watch Philly fans like Philadelphia was 10 and one going into that game. So now they're 10 and two. And, and so their only losses have been to Brock Purdy. Yeah. And uh, I don't know who else they lost to now. Zach Wilson. <laughs> that's right okay so uh but it's just striking those philly fans are hardcore like they were booing a 10 and 1 team at home you know like i get being dissatisfied but man those philly they booed, fans they booed santa on christmas don't let's not let's not yeah. forget yeah how do you boo santa on christmas i don't know all right, you ready to talk some college football here? Are you ready to talk some college oh, football? Oh, I am ready. I have hot All takes. Right, well, 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 Matt, give me the rundown. So uh, the starting point, obviously, is last this past weekend was championship weekend, conference championship weekend. And so the uh, the result that kind really the one result that threw things into chaos was Alabama beating Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan won, Washington won, Florida State won. So all three of those teams are unbeaten. Texas won as well. And so the issue came down to, I mean, Michigan and Washington, everyone knew they were locks. So after the game Saturday night, the debate was starting on, okay, so Florida State, they did beat Louisville with their third string quarterback, but it was like 16 to six. They, they did not look good at all. 
but their defense was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had a, their star quarterback got hurt like two games ago and he, he was lights out. He was uh dynamic. And so when he got hurt, that certainly uh, brought about some, uh, some ma- major changes to them. Well, long story short, uh, the, the playoff committee basically took for the four teams, they took Michigan and Washington. That was a no, no surprise there, but they took, Texas, who beat Alabama. They were a one-loss conference champion from the Big 12. And then they took Bama as the fourth spot, leaving an undefeated Florida State team out of the playoff. A Power Mm -hmm. 5 team went unbeaten in their conference and played out of conference and beat LSU on the road. And still... They did not get in. Yeah, that's no good. And uh, of course, there's all the accusations of the SEC bias and that kind of thing. And there's certainly elements of truth to that. But um, and it, Texas it, is Texas set to join the SEC? Is that is that happening next year? Here? Yes. Yeah. Next so it's year. almost like a. It's almost like you have two SEC teams in there. Almost yes, yeah. Well, and it just shows the 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 inequity of, of college football in terms of uh, it's all about in some ways when you lose, right? If you lose early in the year, you're still okay. You lose late in the year and you're in deep trouble. Uh, Alabama is a fluke play away from not even being in the playoff because those who watch college football will remember last week, they played their rival Auburn. And trailed by four points and had to convert a fourth and goal from the Auburn 31-yard line as time expired in order to win that game. Yep. So thanks, Auburn, for not being able to play defense on fourth and goal from the 31. Uh, Everybody in Florida now hates you with a burning passion. Though, honestly... If that had happened and Georgia lost to Bama, I think Georgia, I, I think Georgia might have gotten the yeah. fourth spot instead of Florida State. I think that's right. Yeah, Georgia was pretty upset they weren't in. Yeah. Um, yeah, well no, no, no one's going to cry for them. No, no one's going to cry so. for them. Um, so, Florida State has legitimate frustration. A hundred percent, yes, yes. Legitimate frustration. Now, next year they're going to go to a 12-team playoff, and so this this wouldn't have mattered if this is the scenario next year. Uh, But what is striking is uh, again, just that they did not put in an undefeated power five conference team uh, who won their conference. And uh, yeah, it's just, this would have been a great year for an eight team playoff. I think the difference between one and eight is Razor thin, razor thin. I mean, think of it this way. Uh, Ohio State is ranked seventh. They lost on the road by one score against the number one team in the country, Michigan. They're ranked seventh. Yeah. Georgia lost by, I think they lost by three to Bama. And they dropped all the way to five. 
I mean, it's or six. I think they dropped to six. Anyway, like the the margin between one and eight. If they had an eighteen playoff this year, it would be amazing television. The uh, so basically the semifinals are set. Then you've got Michigan against Alabama, which there's a really funny clip on uh, on Twitter of when they revealed the fourth team. They were showing Michigan's reaction. And there was an audible gasp in the room when it was revealed they were playing Bama rather than Florida State with their second or third string quarterback. Like yeah. it's pretty funny. Yeah. Pretty funny. Well, and, so, and Bama has a history of being very, very good. I mean, the line started with Michigan as favored by two and a half, and it dropped almost instantly to Michigan by a point and a half. And it wouldn't surprise me if by the end, but when they play, that it's either a, a a toss up or even Bama by a little bit. Do you remember? I think it was University of Central Florida. It was probably five or six years ago now. Uh, went undefeated and declared themselves national champions. Yes, and yes, they basically did. had a parade through. I think they're in Tampa. I think Florida State needs to do the same thing if they win their bowl game. Who did, who did they pull for their bowl game? Well, they know? play Georgia. Okay. So, quite frankly, if they beat Georgia, they can, they ahead, can do it. Go yeah. ahead and throw the parade. Throw the parade. That feels so. intentional uh, by by the bowl people out there. Yeah, it feels that way too. Um, And then, uh, so yeah, the semifinals are Michigan against Alabama and then Washington and Texas. I think both those games should be really entertaining. Yeah, there's a Grace College connection with Washington. We have an alum who works in their uh, – Sports information department there at Washington. I think I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other college football news is that today uh, we're recording on a Monday uh, is the opening of the transfer portal in college football. And it's the wild West out there, John and Ohio state has lost a few players already. As of when we're recording this afternoon, I think they've had, I think around 10 players opting into the transfer portal. Wow. Most notably, starting quarterback Kyle McCord. Really? Entered the transfer portal, yes. Hmm. See, yesterday, Ryan Day had a press conference, and and he was asked if, if he would commit to Kyle McCord as his starter for next year. And Ryan Day basically said, eh, I'm not ready to say that. Yeah. So hmm. he's out of there. The other uh, two other big notes on this, uh, Julian Fleming, starting wide receiver, fourth year guy, is entering the transfer portal as well. Okay. And then they've got like three or four defensive backs, like backups, like who are entering the portal as well. So there's some turnover. And all of that is in, is uh, going to make it interesting how they end up playing against Missouri in their bowl game in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, that's is, who they've is got. there any? Will they get many transfers? I think they will probably get a transfer quarterback. Okay, and I think they will look to add defensive linemen. There's a five-star defensive lineman from Texas A&M that entered the the portal. Okay, uh, they'll probably go after him. And there's a couple of offensive tackles that I think they'll go after as well. Uh, so 
it'll be interesting. I playing against Missouri in the bowl game. I'm just not, that's a matchup that I don't think Ohio state's going to care that much about, and it's going to mean everything to Missouri. So you've got the motivation gap when it comes to that matchup. So we'll see. Yeah. Hmm. We'll see. I, I was talking to someone about this. I, it's, I still love college football. I still think it's the best sport, but I'm not a fan of what it's becoming uh, with the name image likeness stuff, as well as the um, transfer portal stuff. I just don't, I just don't enjoy what it's becoming. I think it's taking on the least attractive aspects of professional football and leaving behind some of the more uh, attractive elements of college football yeah hmm. all right we should probably move on to other things you know things that other listeners may actually be uh interested in <laughs> i think some of our listeners they're, they're interested they're not interested in matt Harmon's feelings on the changing nature of college football uh there's at least some that aren't that's for sure that's for sure so you ready to move on? Sure. Uh, today we're continuing our Advent series on uh, some key Old Testament allusions or citations that help inform some of the uh, the birth narratives of Jesus found in either Matthew or Luke. And so uh, last week we talked about uh, the allusion to Numbers 24 in the um, in the opening lines of Matthew 2, referring to the star. And we're going to continue in Matthew 2 today by looking at um, the direct quotation from uh, <clears throat> Micah 5, uh, verse 2. So, John, let's go ahead and have you read uh, verses. Uh, let's just go 1 through 6. I think we can start there. 1 to 6? In Matthew 2, yep. Okay. Uh, Matthew 2, verses 1 to 6. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Uh, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them uh, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, uh, for so it is written by the prophet. Uh, and here's your quotation, verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, uh, who will shepherd my people, Israel. Okay, so uh, that is a quotation from uh, Micah 5.2. And before we uh, jump back to Micah, uh, we should just kind of talk briefly about the context. It's uh, interesting that um, what prompts this is the visit of the wise men, and uh, it's it, and these it's, guys. Go these guys would have been Persian. Is that my understanding? 
Probably. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so not, I mean, probably would have known of Israel from the diaspora, but uh, how, how are they coming across this? I mean, I mean, from the exile, is that, is that where they, they. Yeah. Realistically the from the exile, um, you know, the, it was the Babylonians who took over uh, and just, and took uh, the Southern kingdom of Judah into exile and so, um, and then while they were in exile, the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And while some of the Jews went back to the land of Israel, many of them stayed in Persia. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as a result, uh, I think they would have been aware of just some of these Old Testament uh, expectations and hopes that the Jewish people had of this coming king. And they they suss it out. They're able to fit. They're able to figure this out. Well, it's based on apparently the star, right? Uh, yeah. I mean that that seems to be that's what they identify as. Hey, we saw his star, and so we followed it, and now we're here in Jerusalem. And so, there's clearly some sort of connection there, even with their reading of astronomy, and it's just it's really a fascinating kind of how do you fill in the gaps of them getting there yeah um, so yeah i think uh what's what is noteworthy though is that when they arrive in jerusalem and they ask this question about you know basically where's the king of the jews um and that basically herod has to assemble the chief priests and scribes to ask where was the christ to be born and they had to go, in essence, look it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think that that strikes me as really interesting in this passage that Herod doesn't gather his own wise men. He gathers like, give me, give me the Jews. You know, you know, give me, give me the the Israelites who who know this stuff. And they, in essence, conspire with Herod in this. Yeah, yeah. They uh, so they identify this passage out of. Micah 5 2. So let's uh let's take a little trip back to Micah 5 2 to figure out kind of what's going on back there. Uh let's see, Micah. Micah 5 2. And um I think John will start reading here. Um Actually, we're going to start back in chapter four. Okay. And I want you to read verses six through eight first. Do that. So Micah four, six through eight. Okay. Uh, in that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away. And those whom I have afflicted and the lame, I will make the remnant. And those who were cast off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion uh, from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. All right. So now then jump down to... Um... Micah 5, 
and let's read verses two through uh, two through four. Yeah, you had to give me a great name in there, huh? Um, I did. Uh, but you, O Bethlehem, uh, Afaratha. <laughs> How did I do there? Well, well, Ephratha. Ephratha. Uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth uh, for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Uh, therefore, he shall give them up until his time. Uh, when she who is in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brother shall return to the people of Israel. And you said verse four as well? Yes. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. Yeah, so you see, uh, just within the larger context here of Micah, there's this hope for restoration from exile uh, through this king from David's line. And in particular, that this king will come from Bethlehem which is a bit of a, uh, not necessarily a surprise, but sort of a surprise. Um, it's not a surprise in that that's where David was from. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say. But despite that, Bethlehem was never a big city, a big town. Mm -hmm. uh, it was close enough to Jerusalem. I mean, especially today in light of modern transportation. I mean, when you go to when you go to Jerusalem today, it's just a short little drive to get to Bethlehem from the outskirts of of Jerusalem. Yeah, but uh, even back then, it wasn't that far away, and yet, uh, it really was never that large of a town. Just hmm. kind of a more of a, uh, not even a suburb of Jerusalem at that point. Just kind of a small little village, not not really that prominent, uh, and so. You know, you're announcing the arrival of this king coming from this small, uh, seemingly insignificant town, other than the fact, of course, that it's associated with uh, David. Uh, another thing to, to, to pay attention to here is, although the quote is from Micah 5.2, he does, uh, Matthew does pull a line from... Uh, Micah 5 4, that line about shepherding my people Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's not in Micah 5 2, that's actually borrowed from Micah 5 4. And I think part of what's important to see here is uh, this, this promise is connected to promises of dominion. And is tied ultimately to the promise of a ruler from Judah, right? So it's it's that kind of uh, associations that I think make us need to ask, so then what earlier text of Scripture is this building upon? Because as we saw even last week, uh, these, these promises don't occur in isolation, 
they, they, they tend to build upon one another. Right. They're interconnected. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so when you, when you consider what's going on in those mica texts, I mean, one obvious background here is in fact, um, second Samuel seven. I mean, that's kind of the backbone there. That's that's the text where God makes His promise to David of an uh, of a descendant who's going to rule over an eternal kingdom, and that that descendant is actually going to rule uh, in a way that is the fulfillment of earlier promises of Scripture itself, which go back to uh, Genesis forty nine, which we looked at last week in terms of the promise. Uh, of the scepter not departing from Jacob, and ultimately back to Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God's initial promise to Abraham. Uh, and then, you know, when you pick up ideas of dominion, ultimately you're getting back into Genesis 1. Yeah, yeah. And so when you understand this promise in Micah 5 against that backdrop, I think part of what you see is that this promised ruler, this shepherd from David's line, is not just intended to rule over Israel. He's intended to rule over hmm. creation. And that this promise, which I think when you look in, in 2 Samuel 7, this is pretty evident too, that the promise extends not just for the people of Israel, but ultimately to any and all who align themselves with this promise descended. Um, just, just one point of clarity on what you said there. Yep. When you were uh, talking about, because I, I initially thought of Genesis 49 as well, um, where, uh, and, and you said the scepter shall not depart from Jacob. Isn't it Judah? In Judah. That I thought okay. I said Judah. Okay. I, maybe I misspoke. Yeah, maybe I, I misheard you. But yeah, it, it's, it seems like that gets extended here a little bit, right? Like, sure. like even um, even it seems like there's going to be a, um, a ruler from Judah or there's or Judah's line is going to be rulers of some kind. And it seems like it's going to, to um, yeah, it, it's going to be from the land of Judah, from the rulers of Judah. Like, like it's getting yeah. extended to the whole tribe there, not just... Um, the individual yeah absolutely and then if you look into micah 5 2 uh even that expression uh at the end of 5 2 there he used to be a ruler in israel whose coming forth is from of old from ancient days and even that expression you know raises questions right i mean when you read that that text in one sense canonically you see Oh, this is hinting at the um, at the eternal nature of this king, that he's more than just a human king. But uh, it's it's striking, and I think this this text. So so Micah, um, basically an eighth century prophet. Uh, this this set of promises, I think, gets picked up and developed later. In Ezekiel, so in Ezekiel 34, which these promises come uh, roughly, you know, uh, 150, 200 years after Micah. In Ezekiel 34, 
you get this uh, remarkable statement about Israel's future hope. Uh, uh, Ezekiel 34, and this is uh, verses 23 and 24, um, it says this. Uh, well, actually, let's back up. This is what's striking. Let me, let me back up here. This is Ezekiel 34, but let's start back in verse 15. Uh, this is Yahweh speaking. He says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Now, <clears throat> now jump down to verse 22. Uh, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. So it's fascinating here in this Ezekiel text is it seems to be building in one sense on the Micah text and saying, it at least raises the question, so who's going to do the shepherding of God's people? At first it's like, oh, it's Yahweh. He's going to do it. He's like, yeah. but then it's David as well. And you could understand that simply as, well, God leads through his king. God cares for his people through his king. Mm -hmm. But in light of what the New Testament teaches, it's hard not to see the sort of in, the, the incarnation, the, the dual nature of Christ, the humanity, as well as the deity of Jesus. So that this shepherd is actually both God in the flesh and fully human descendant of David. Yes, particularly the way Matthew runs through his genealogy at the, at the outset of mm -hmm. his uh, gospel, right? Connecting it to connecting Jesus all the way back to David. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, um, you know, you get uh, these texts coming together to help Matthew then present Jesus as this promised Davidic king. Uh, which is intended to be a contrast in the context of Matthew 2 to the so-called king, Herod. Yes. And that one king is ruling by um, domination and power and fear. And this new king who is born, we don't know this yet, but it's going to become apparent. He's going to rule in a completely different way. So it's this very strong contrast that shows up there in Matthew two, and will continue on throughout the rest of Matthew's gospel. Well, and, and I don't, I don't think you intend to go here, but but I intend to go here. Uh, <laughs> is, is that I do think there is a there's some parallelism being drawn here by Matthew with Herod and Pharaoh, uh, ultimately as well. Like like going back to Exodus. I mean, we're going to see in a little bit that he is going to. Uh, send out his people to kill all the baby uh, baby boys, right, of Bethlehem yep. to kill them, yep. much, much as Pharaoh did. Um, yeah. 
And uh, so I think there's a, I think there's even a parallelism there about, about Jesus. Uh, yeah, um, for sure. Exodus as well. And it's, it, it's certainly setting, setting that up that, um, you know, even when you read Matthew two there, you can, you can see the duplicitousness of Herod when it's like, oh, well, when you find them, please let us know so we can worship him too. Like the reader knows Herod doesn't want to worship the new king. He wants to kill him. He wants to destroy him because he's a threat. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a nutcase really, Herod. (laughs) He is. He is. I remember when we were in Israel, one of our tour guides uh, loved to say, um, Herod the Great was a, horrible human being and a total nutcase but without him i may not have a job today (laughs) because basically herod was responsible for building so many things around israel that you today can go see ruins of or parts of so yes the love-hate relationship of herod continues (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah well and and in light of herod coming up and soon killing all these jewish children uh, I can't help but like reflect on like the chief priests and the scribes of the people helped him in in, in this in in this discovery quest mm-hmm. as well. I, that's never stuck out to me as much as it has in this in this passage here. Yeah, I mean, I think just by itself, you could you could potentially say, well, Herod asked and they answered a question. Yeah. But when you look at how the rest of Matthew's gospel presents the posture of the chief priests and the scribes towards Jesus, it's hard not to see that as anticipating their own opposition to Jesus oh, yeah. later on. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. So, well, there's a little trip through a second. Uh, this one's actually a citation, not an illusion like last time. And again, part of the heart behind this series is I think that the going just just going back to you know Luke one and two and Matthew one and two every year uh, can can get a little uh, can potentially get a little stale because you can feel like oh well I know the story but when you dig deeper into the Old Testament allusions and citations it brings out some of the richness of what the biblical authors are trying to show you indirectly about Jesus and prepare you for what you're going to read as the gospel accounts unfold. Hmm. All right, John, you ready to move on? I sure am. Time now for this day in sports history. Okay. This day in sports history, December 5th, December 5th, uh, 2023 is this year. But let's yes. go back to 1956. Uh, Danish yachtsman Paul Everstrom. Is Elvstrom. I think that's E L V. There you go. Elvstrom. Elvstrom wins the Finn class gold medal at the Melbourne Olympics, his second straight Finn gold and third consecutive Olympic gold in sailing. Huh. Interesting. Uh, what is a Finn class gold? That's that, that's a great question. Because it must be. I went, oh, he's Finnish, right? But then I realized he, the start of the sentence says he's Danish. Yeah, yeah, I, and I didn't know that. There, apparently, there's a whole 
classification of sailing is that Finn in the like Finnish like Finn of Finland or is that some other term it, the sailing invented by the Finns which yeah I don't know conquered by the Danish anyway <laughs> um also in 1956 Soviet uh, artistic gymnast uh, Larissa Latanina uh, wins the women's vault and ties for gold in the floor exercise at the Melbourne Olympics Later takes gold uh, total to four uh, with teams uh, and individual all-around titles. So four gold medals. Not bad. I you were you were shaking your head at my pronunciation there. Were you were you not a fan? No, I think you got it right. I think Larissa think right. Latinina. Larissa. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nineteen fifty-nine. Future Pakistan cricket captain. Yeah, I'm not going to get these. Uh, Intakib Alam, uh, Bulls Australian opener, Colin McDonald. I got that one. Uh, with his <laughs> first ball in the test cricket in a draw, third test in Karachi. Yeah. Epic. Yeah, indeed. 1959. Uh, 2008. I know this one. Uh, former <laughs> NFL star OJ Simpson is sentenced to 33 years in prison for kidnapping and armed robbery, which he has since been paroled for yes and he's yeah. out he's out in the world uh and, and on twitter and presumably still looking for the real killers apparently yeah <laughs> hello twitter hello twitter world um 2016 this is the last one i remember this too clay yeah. thompson scores 60 points in 29 minutes while only taking 11 dribbles and a 142-106 win over the Pacers. Yeah, that, that's really remarkable given just the way the NBA works these days in terms of being more ball-dominant scoring, right? Where guys ISO and it's like dribble, 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 shot. All the Clay stuff was coming off screens and um, working away from the ball. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it, it's pretty remarkable. Sixty points is a lot of points, and only yes. eleven. Yes. And he did it in in twenty nine minutes. He didn't play the fourth quarter of that game because it was already so out of hand. Well, he he could have missed. He just could have yeah. missed that. Game. Um, yeah, quite a quite a player. So, who do you like out of that list? Uh, I'm. I mean, truthfully, I'm probably Clay Thompson here. I think I am agreeing with you i think clay thompson is the way to go here so yeah he's quite good yes yes he is one thing you liked all right so i just started a new show uh that's um it's based on a book but it's it's a four-part limited series on netflix i just started i've only watched the first one wonderfully well shot has a lot of stars in it a really really good so far i'm excited to watch the rest of it but i'll go ahead and put it down as my one thing like um all the light we cannot see uh which is based on a novel mm -hmm. um and it takes place in world war ii and it's about uh right now it's about this um blind girl who has a radio program that is passing on messages to the american and uh british uh forces uh, while she is stuck in occupied france with the nazis uh, and so she's putting out these messages. Uh, 
I think unbeknownst to her, uh, but they're using, uh, uh, oh my goodness, 20,000 leagues under the sea to communicate it. Hmm. Uh, and so it's, right now it's pretty interesting. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, the first episode was very, very well done, but it's got Mark Ruffalo in it, who played the Hulk. And it's yep. got, uh, it's got Hugh Laurie in it, who played House, if you oh, remember that. Wow. TV yeah. House. Yep. Uh, so a bunch of Englishmen and Americans playing French people. <laughs> there you uh, go with with no accents that that's probably the most like they just they're they just lean into the english although there's french flags everywhere <laughs> there's no french accent whatsoever yeah my wife what read that they? book oh did she did she enjoy yeah. it she did very much okay well there's a netflix limited series that i'm watching right now yeah, I don't. I mean, the first episode certainly had bombings and things like that, like certainly uh, gratuitous violence, but uh, nothing sexual that I remember from the first episode. So, okay, I don't want to give it the full seal of approval, only seeing twenty five percent of it. But sure, yeah, all the light we cannot see. There you go. Uh, I'm I'm also going to go with a movie adaptation of a book. Um, this is uh, surprised by Oxford. Uh, another book that my wa wife read. Uh, we watched the movie version of it that just recently came out. And I thought it was pretty good. My my wife was disappointed because it wasn't as good as the book, which, I mean, movies almost never are. You just can't do the same amount of detail. Exactly. Yeah. But it's the story of this American woman who uh, is not a believer grew up in a with a nominally catholic mother goes off to uh oxford in the uk to study for her uh phd and while she's there she meets this guy who is a believer and she is at best an agnostic and the movie kind of charts the uh her eventual conversion to christianity uh as a mm. result of being around this young man that she ends up eventually marrying uh which is interesting but um it's it's beautifully shot i mean it is stunning pictures of oxford and uh just gorgeous english countryside stuff um but uh, an interesting fact about this book uh, about this movie and book so the guy that she falls in love with, he is, from what I understand, he is the son of um, a guy who wrote the book Tender Warrior. You familiar with that book? It was a big no, Christian. No. This is before your time. But like in the in the late 80s, early 90s, it was like a one of the leading kind of Christian manhood books. Hmm. It's called Tender Warrior. And I believe the guy that wrote it was named Stu Weber. It's his son that is the it, that it is the real this is a real life story. It's a true life story. Uh so we enjoyed that. I they see this is one of the challenges with Christian movies, as we all know. They don't make her conversion all that explicit. Like it's there. Yeah. But but it's not explicit. But again, I think it's one of those things where the the movie makers probably don't want to make it too explicit because then it comes across as cheesy. You know what I mean? Or preachy. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think those are difficult lines to walk in these kinds mm-hmm. of movies. Um, and I think they want it. They didn't want it to be a, this is a Christian movie. They wanted it to be a movie about a woman who becomes a Christian. Uh, and so I think that's probably the explanation for it. So that is surprised by Oxford. And that is my one thing I liked. Nice. All right, John, we have talked about college and professional football, how the college football playoff committee has lost their mind. We've talked about the promise of a ruler from Bethlehem from Micah 5, 2, quoted in Matthew 2. We have talked about Clay Thompson scoring 60 points and only dribbling the ball 11 times. We have talked about a limited series on Netflix that you are watching called All the Light We Cannot See, right? Yep, that's right. Okay. We've talked about Surprised by Oxford. And so I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. So all that's left to say is, until next time, the Lord bless you all real good. Later. Later.